And welcome back. Thanks for joining us on the Peachtree Post. Soccer about Atlanta for Atlanta in Atlanta. Alongside our resident honorary director of airport uh, travel and MLS, Jason Longshore down on the south side. I'm Jarrett Smith. And uh, welcome to another week of soccer in Atlanta. And welcome to another week of uh, Hashtag Tata Watch. Jason, we are um, we we can't go more than a couple weeks without a watch, and we got a doozy of one this time. And news, not 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 quite breaking news, so I can't break out the sounder yet, really, because we don't have anything to confirm. But it's uh it's certainly news. It's definitely news. Uh, I, I think last night on the ATL soccer chat, I officially moved the Tata watch to imminent. And yes, you did. I think we're I think we're we're still there in imminent, definitely. Uh, there was a tweet that went out today, uh, tonight actually, from, I want to make sure I get this right, uh, Franco Suiwan, who is with the Oklahoma City Energy um, Marketing and Advertising Manager, and he tweeted out that breaking, Tata Martino will be Atlanta United's newest slash first co- head coach. Introduction might come as early as mid next week. And then there was another tweet where he specifically mentioned Wednesday. Um, haven't been able to confirm this anywhere. So, you know, it's, it's still in the rumor category, but it fits with everything else that is going on. And, you know, other, other things in the grapevine, we've, we've definitely heard that, that imminent is, is a good way to describe it, but nothing confirmed at this point to say that, Yes, the contract is signed, and yes, he will be announced on a certain day. Yeah, and that's I think that's a big part of it is it's not confirmed, but um, it wasn't just us. It's a lot of people picking up on this really quickly. And um, I mean, a lot of people who aren't really associated with us or with Dirty South or whatnot, just kind of casual observers, kind of saw this as this is real now. Like it, I think everyone else kind of put it in the imminent category as well. No, I don't think anybody was saying this is absolutely happening. And no, I don't think anyone's saying that right now, but I mean, I think other people outside of, uh, outside of the, uh, the watch group kind of put this in the, in the position of this is a thing that legitimately might happen. Atlanta United might actually grab Argentina's national team coach. And, uh, as a number of articles have said, whether it works or not, it's it's certainly a statement. Definitely. And I think what, what kind of kicked it to another level with the, the Tata watches is the Club America news. And, you know, con- today it was confirmed that they are going with uh, Ricardo LaVolpe as their next manager. And I've, I've seen differing things about... Uh, Martino turning them down. Um, I've seen that he turned them down, you know, I guess yesterday. I've also seen that he turned them down a month ago. So there were a few rumors about a month ago with uh, Cruz Azul being in the mix for trying to get Martino. Not much. And I didn't even notice him at the time when, when Martino became linked to Atlanta is when I noticed, Oh wait, there were some rumors back uh, probably early August, mid August, and nothing really came of those either. So some people were saying today, like, no, Martino didn't turn them down. Now he had already turned them down. And so it's it's a little unclear. But regardless, Club America has a manager. 
So, and it's not Tata Martino. So that opens up the door of, you know, these reports about Martino picking a coaching staff um, for his job in Atlanta, everything's starting, you know, the dots are all starting to be connected now. Yeah, if you want to jump on that, because um, I was going to lead you there anyway, but you went to that pond by yourself. Uh, so if you want to kind of expand on that, the coaching staff thing, because that's really where I think eyebrows kind of raised. Yeah, and, you know, it's, I think for us not knowing, you know, his coaching staff that well, uh, the things that I've learned from my research on on Martino and how he's kind of operated, he has had a very consistent core of staff members around him. Um, and this dates back to when he first started coaching um, late nineties and the assistant that is linked to coming to Atlanta with him is not his usual, you know, first assistant. Uh, that has always been Jorge Paltaso, who was a longtime player at Newell's old boys teammates with, with Martino and they both played there He's always been his assistant since 1998, and he is not part of this group, um, according to Vero Brunati, who's a very well-respected writer, um, covers the Argentine national team, covers soccer in the Americas. Uh, she's the one who broke this news. Um, the assistant is actually listed as Jorge Thieler, who he has typically been in charge of youth or youth development. He organized Newell's Academy uh, while Tata was there. And Maxi Aruti is a player who came out of Newell's around that time. Um, I've, I've seen nothing but good things said about Thieler. Uh, people described him as very honest, sincere, reliable. Um, he has had some first-team coaching experience in the past at Newell's and at Libertad, which is a smaller Argentine club. Um He's definitely, you know, been in the mix with Martino over the years, but not as his elite assistant. So that was a little bit of a surprise. The other two people that have been linked are one is video analysis, uh, Damian Silvero, and the other is a trainer, Manuel Alfaro. Um, both were with Martino with the Argentine national team. So that's, you know, a nice feather in the cap to have, you know, Argentina's video analysis director and one of their top physical trainers come to Atlanta with this job to launch this new team. That's, that's pretty big in my opinion. And that's, that's something that I think is really picking up and it's a really popular thing in some sports and it's not in others, but this whole video analysis thing is a really, it's, it's a big deal. And, um, Atlanta United has uh, Lucy, I think Lucy Rushton, if yes. I'm not mistaken. That's is, right. Uh, heading up analytics and kind of trying. I mean, if you want to call it a revolution, I won't stop you. This whole like we're gonna we're gonna lean on analytics, and you've brought in a really good person for the job. I think. Um, but I I I guess my question is, do you think he's kind of tailoring his staff to an MLS style and you know towards the strengths that he thinks will work? And what 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 is going to be for him? And let's I mean, it's going to be a new challenge for him. This is something totally new. Yeah, it's. I, I think it's a little early to say if he's tailoring the staff to MLS because we don't know who else will be in that staff. If okay. if he made room for you know a, a, an assistant with MLS experience, I would completely agree. That's you know it's very intentional what he's doing. Um, we don't know, and there's been some talk that uh, Paltaso, his usual assistant, 
could have left the group because he has the opportunity to be uh, a head coach, um, possibly at Newell's actually. So that it, it might have been just that's the way things worked out that uh, Paltasso had another opportunity and he took it. So Martino is adjusting based off of that. The video analysis person being part of his group is, I think, a big thing because it does fit with Atlanta United and what they're putting together with analytics and now video analysis being a key. Not a lot of MLS clubs have a specific person in charge of video analysis. Um, some some teams will have like their second assistant or their first assistant kind of use video for scouting or uh, scouting opposition, but... It, there hasn't really been a specific video analysis person in a lot of clubs. You're seeing it worldwide start to happen more and more, but not so much in MLS yet. So that's, you know, again, I think it shows the level of investment that we're seeing at Atlanta United where, you know, from, from his past experience, Martino has always come into a job and he's wanted things to be a certain way. He, you know, it's not a manager who's going to take a job and then just be like, oh, yeah, just give me assistance. That's fine. He has his crew that he takes with him and he likes to be, you know, around people that he's comfortable with, which makes total sense. Um, the fact that, you know, it he's doing that again here, I think, shows that one, Atlanta United is very, you know, they, they want Martino to be the head coach. And they're also willing to invest in the things he wants to invest in with video analysis a trainer specifically coming to do the things that he wants to do. It, it just shows the intent that I think Atlanta United has as a club. This is not being thrown together just to get a team on the field. This is about first class and this is about doing it right. And that's a big thing to me is, um, and we've talked about this before, but I feel like it needs to be said again. Uh, anything that happens has already been discussed um, with Darren uh, Carlos Bocanegra, when they sit down and have these discussions, whatever happens, whatever you're thinking, oh, will they be doing this? Will they be doing that? They've already discussed it and they've laid it out and they've laid out boundaries and laid out, you know, what guys are going to do, what they're not going to do. And I think that's something that kind of gets overlooked when we look at negotiations as a whole and don't, and when we don't try and strip them back and see uh, what exactly is going on with certain, with, you know, coach negotiations and whatnot. Um, by the way, if you want more information on that kind of analytics thing, there is an article on Dirty South Soccer from, I think it was April, where uh, Lucy Rushton explained kind of the analytics thing that's going on with Atlanta United. Uh, as far as video goes, I've been a, been, a, big, been a proponent in other sports, such as baseball, where this sort of thing is a huge deal uh, with advanced number, with advanced analytics and whatnot. Um Back in the day, like one of the guys who really pushed it was Tony Gwynn, the uh, the now uh, rest in peace Tony Gwynn, Hall of Famer, uh, who used video analysis on his at bats. It's the 21st century, though. It's so easy to have high quality video analysis at any speed that you want, at any angle that you want. They can fly a drone over practice facility and look at everything, and just the options are there. I'm really surprised that more. More teams, especially in the MLS, haven't taken advantage of that. Um, I'm, I'm curious to see if they do spark a wave with this. Yeah, I, I think some of it has just been, you know, the level of investment. And now I think you're seeing things go to another level with that. And you're seeing, especially the new teams coming in, I think they're starting to push the envelope when it comes to 
you know, having more staff, having specialized staff and not, you know, I don't want to say doing it on the cheap because that's not really fair, but not doing it the old way, like looking at new ways to do things and looking at how, you know, clubs and, and managers are doing this around the world. And it's interesting when you start to look at, you know, Darren's background being at Tottenham and who is the manager at Tottenham, Mauricio Pochettino, Argentinian, who came from Newell's. That's where he you know, came up as a player, uh, played under Bielsa. It's not exactly Bielsa style, but very, very similar. There's a few differences when you look at Pochettino and, and Martino and kind of the things they do. But Pochettino is also a person who has brought in a lot of his own staff. You know, you look at the staff he has at Tottenham, it's Argentine and Spanish with a few English mixed in. I think you could see that sort of thing here. And I think that's something that, you know, maybe some other teams would be like, no, we, you have to have MLS people here because that's how MLS does things. Whereas Darren's going to be like, you know, this is the experience I've had where Pochettino's come in and done well at Tottenham. I'm going to let the manager bring in who he wants to be comfortable and help him have everything he needs to do his job. Now, let me get kind of past this, Jason, and ask you, um, how does everybody fit? Because that's a question we've gotten. I've gotten it some. Uh, I know you, we got it last night on the uh, ATL Soccer Chat, which is on Facebook. Always feel free, Wednesday nights, 8 p.m., Facebook Live. Just go to Dirty South Soccer. Follow Dirty South Soccer. Uh, set yourself up for the alerts, and you'll get the information needed to do these uh, to do these live chats, uh, the Facebook Live chats. Ask Jason anything you want and see that man's handsome face as he sits outside in the Georgia autumn. Um, Last night was great, actually. We had a lot of good that. questions, and you it just kept that. going. Yeah, you owned that. We went for like that was we went for extra time. It was like an hour and a half. It was an hour and a half, and like usually I'll get 30, 45 minutes in and be like, okay, kind of topics are drying up a little bit. And I looked down at nine o'clock and was like, I've been talking for an hour almost nonstop. This is chaos. Um. Anyway, that aside, uh, shameless plug out of the way. A lot of the questions that were there were about. Uh, we're about coaching fit. How do players fit into the system, Jason? Like, is there any, are there any questions we should look at? Uh, yeah, I mean, there always is. Um, you know, you've had seven players sign, uh, before, you know, Martino and uh, we're, we're just completely going under the assumption that Martino is the guy and it's going to be announced soon. So we know it's not confirmed yet, but that's where we're going with this. So just, just follow us down the rabbit hole. Um, you know, there's been players signed. You always run into the possibility of, well, you know, that player doesn't fit what the manager wants to do. I think with, with Martino, the thing you have to consider is he is tactically pretty flexible and he will make the system work depending on the players he has and the, and the team he's playing against. So there was, you know, one question on the ATL soccer chat was about Kenwin Jones and, you know, oh, he's not a fit. And I think that was really based off of how Barcelona would play with a false nine. But that wasn't Martino that brought that to the table. That was that was actually Guardiola and, and Tito Villanova kept going with it. Um, Martino actually brought more of a direct game to Barcelona in his time there and helped them find a, a plan B that they had never had before. So, you know, Ken, and, and Kenwin too. I think Kenwin is a player who's not just an old school number nine. I think Kenwin can do a lot of things and he doesn't get credit for it. I think uh, we saw that in the Kansas City game. You did. You, you saw when he was running at players and that's what you'll see some of here. But he can also be a number nine. Um, 
Martino, you know, it's it's funny. I think he he's taken a lot of stick for Argentina and Barcelona and and how you know those teams performed and and people forget that you know Argentina was you know number two to one of the best teams in Chile's overall history the last two years at uh, Copa America and Barcelona lost you know, the final day of the league season. Um, and any other year in any other situation that would be seen as a good season. And it wasn't in this case, it's kind of unfair. Um, and he takes some criticism for being defensive and direct. He's not defensive and direct. He, he does things differently. Uh, you see him play consistently a four, three, three, um, in attack, it often looks like a four-one-four-one. He likes to have a defensive midfielder who can sit and play, but also break up attacks. And by all accounts, Chris McCann is a, a very good fit for that. Um, so I'm, I'm happy about that part. I think having the the wide players who can press and can run, Vishalba should be a great fit there. He would be a player that Martino is probably familiar with already. So I like that setup a lot. Um, I like what Martino can do with an Andrew Carlton because Martino has has worked with a lot of teams where he's had to play young players and he's you know never really shown a you know an, an issue with doing that. So I like that setup. Um, he'll he'll find the way to get the best out of out of Jones. I'm not I'm not really worried about that. I think what you see with his teams if you're looking at it stylistically. And we've actually got a piece in the hopper at Dirty South. Uh, be on the lookout for it, where one of our new writers, Joe Patrick, was going to really dive deep into the tactics. But you know, looking at it from kind of an overview level, what Martino's teams like to do is to get the ball forward quickly. And it's this system that is typically called verticalidad. And a lot of people confuse that with just being direct and just playing long ball. And it's not that. Because verticalidad can be done with a direct ball, and it can also be done with quick, short passes to get the ball forward. It's all about getting the ball out of the defense and into the attack quickly, quick transition. It's not about kind of the old school Barcelona style where you would see tiki-taka in the defense as a defensive tactic. And you won't see that out of a Martino team at all where you'll see possession is in the attacking half to keep the ball and to create attacks. You'll see a lot of diagonal balls. You'll see a lot of opening up the space um, and you'll see a lot of pressing and high pressing. And that's where he's going to want, you know, McCann to sit in front of the back four and protect it, but have two attacking midfielders who can get up and press. And that's where maybe Jones drops a little bit. Maybe Jones presses some and drops some other. There's going to be ways to make it work. Um, And it's going to be now like fitting the pieces around it. I think there's more good than bad in the sense of how players fit. And I think there's a lot of good in how Martino can help develop a Tito Vizalba and a Andrew Carlton that other managers probably couldn't bring the best out of them. Oh, I'm ex- I'm completely excited about him getting a hold of Vajaba and wrecking shop with him, and potentially down the line, you know, getting Carlton and wrecking shop with him, like running Carlton maybe out on the left at times against Vajaba on the right. I mean, that's just that sounds fun to me, um, amongst other things that could happen. Um, I'm I'm on board with all this because 
And I, I texted, we, we texted back and forth about this the other night when we were discussing, you know, how players fit. I guess the way I viewed it was in a perfect world, you bring him in, um, he gets a hold of his Jabba and turns into an unholy weapon that eventually makes his way out of Atlanta. And, and, and I think it is a thing that we need to make peace with the fact that Vijalba, at some point, if he turns into what we think he can turn into, he's going to go to Europe. He could. That's, like, that's a thing that definitely can happen. But uh, where you start bringing a guy, have a guy who builds this reputation in the Western Hemisphere, where you become a, where you become a destination for players, young players in the Western Hemisphere to come train and win trophies and then move on as they get deeper into their career, potentially, or, you know, stay. I'd rather you stay personally, but let's be realistic. Um, yeah, if, mean, if Europe calls, um, you're, you're going to take that call. Well, I mean, I think if, if any club who can offer more money calls, you're going to take that. And oh, yeah. it doesn't have to be like, oh, Atlanta's secondary club or developmental club or selling club or whatever you want to call it. Oh, no, it. you can still be successful, though, and develop players. Absolutely. And I mean, that's just pro sports at this point, because you see it in, in American sports, too, where it's just managing contracts and it's managing salary caps. And in a salary cap league, you're going to have players develop to where they're going to get a raise. And then you have to decide, can I fit this player in with this raise or do I need to move them on? And that's what it comes down to. And, you know, with the international transfer market, it just makes it that much bigger and that many more options. So a player like Vishalba, if he develops like he is capable of, we think, would likely move on to Europe at some point and hopefully at a nice profit for Atlanta United. Um, and then there will be more that come in behind him and you will exactly. get to I'd a love, point. I'd love for him to start a trend. Yeah. But you'll also get to a point where you can pick and choose and maybe with Evie Shalba, cause he's already a designated player. So the salary cap question is kind of out of the window, you know, out of the, the door with him. It's okay. He has, you know, I don't, I don't know what his contract is. Let's say two years in an option or three years in an option. And you get into that going into the last year and you're like, you know what? He's he's developed. He's going to get a raise, and we're going to keep him here. And if you have a club playing at the level that Atlanta United is is trying to do, and he's comfortable and he's happy, he might stay. And that's what it is. You want to give the player the option, but you're going to have some where players will move on for more money or whatever the situation is, and that's okay. It doesn't mean you know it's not a negative. It's just that's that's world soccer, and that's probably the biggest difference between you know, an MLS club and NBA or NFL or major league baseball where you have the world market and it's not 30 teams competing for that player's rights. It's 3000 teams competing for that player's rights. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and we've talked about this before and I think you've kind of brought it, you've kind of brought it full circle on the idea that you want that Dallas model where you're developing all this young talent that's either staying put or, you know, some, some of it's going overseas and I'm all for that. Um, but if you can combine that Dallas model with Arthur Blank is willing to spend a lot of money and then you just turn into this unholy juggernaut, I'm absolutely on board with that idea. If you can make it all work, um, I my my thing is is you're go, you're always because it's America and because the the way the sport is growing, you're always gonna have these absurd athletes. I'd be really happy to see it grow as hey. Uh, Atlanta United has these freakishly good players and they've got these amazing athletes and they're just growing. You start growing more technically superior players, not just that, for this club team, but nationally. Exactly. 
And that's where I think having a manager like Martino and having his influence over the academy, which, you know, I think will grow. I think he'll be heavily focused on the first team initially because he's, I mean, he's got to build one from scratch. So once that gets established, you know, after the first year, then what he wants to see out of player development and producing players for the first team, you'll see more of that influence. So that's where you can see, you know, a club like Newell's and the influence that Martino and Thieler and the rest of the staff has had at Newell's. Newell's is, is one of the, the best clubs when it comes to producing talent. So if you can bring that influence here, I'd love to see it. Uh, and we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, According to one of the tweets we saw, this could be a thing as soon as next week. Just keep your eyes peeled. Check Dirty South Soccer every morning. Just make it a habit. You might as well. It can't hurt. Um, going from this exciting news to what, uh, in, what in the last few minutes kind of clicked for me is the Black Knight of U.S. Soccer from Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Uh, the NALS. NASL. I can't even say it right. <laughs> NASL. <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of like the Black Knight right now, be, uh, looking at uh, Fort Lauderdale's Twitter account. Uh, your arm's gone. No, it's not. It's fine. <laughs> it's good. No, uh, everything's cool. No, yeah. There's no problems. It's okay. Uh, Jason, you want to catch us up? Yeah, so... <laughs> Get this out of my wheelhouse. Wow, you've had a bunch of stuff here lately. Um, you've had Brian Strauss with a huge piece on Sports Illustrated. Uh, midfieldpress.com had a great piece tonight kind of comparing the situation to dominoes. And I think that's a really good way of looking at it because it's been, you know, one at a time and all these little things are starting to fall. And now the NASL is, is not in a good position, uh, moving forward. And you you have to look at it across the board. You have the Rio OKC issues that we've talked about, um, they look like they've at least stabilized to get through the rest of the season, but nobody's really expecting anything out of them next year. Uh, now you've had Fort Lauderdale have a lot more issues and needing help from the league to get through the rest of the season. Um, and there's lots of questions about how that's been done, and we can dig there in a minute. Um, now you have rumors that Tampa and Orlando will not be part of the next uh NASL Board of Governors meeting and might not be in the league next year. Well, Ottawa is not exactly a shock that that's the case, but Tampa is because Tampa has been really one of the pillars of NASL and believing in the NASL model, which is we can be as big as MLS. Um, that model started when the Cosmos came in. It was not like that at the beginning and it shifted and ultimately, I think it's what's leading to the league's problems right now. Yeah, that's fair. Um, just this, and, I, and we brought this up, and I think it was in the SI article. I said four four two earlier, and I think it was in the SI article that where I was. I was reminded I had forgotten about it. The uh, this the push to be you know the push to really be viewed as a direct competitor with MLS. I mean, it's a great idea on paper. It sounds nice, but... Yes, uh, but, you know, the best laid plans of mice and men. It's not even plans, I think. When you have 10 teams and you're saying, yeah, we should be Division One, uh, and they're, they have 20, and they're adding two more, and you're trying to keep teams afloat, 
Well, it's not only just, that, they're adding two more that are financially solvent, right? They're like are financially sound and uh, seriously financially sound and taking one of yours in the process to do so. And then your newest franchise, no one's even sure if they're going to exist at you know, 365 days after they started. Yeah, it's That's a big it's issue. Just, that whole thing, when, when it shifted from David Downs as commissioner to Bill Peterson and when it shifted with the Cosmos entry to, you know, you know, we, we want to be the best second division league we can be and fill a niche to we want to be the biggest league and we should have teams in CONCACAF Champions League and all this stuff. Um, that was a signal that this might not end so well. And it's kind of where we're at. Uh, the Tampa thing was a huge shock. I didn't expect that. And, and people that I know who have, have been around the NASL for a while were surprised because Tampa and their owner, Bill Edwards, were always seen as, you know, NASL guys and an NASL club. And even to the degree that they, you know, it's Fort Lauderdale's denying it kind of at this point, but. Bull Black Knight. Yeah, pretty much. There's been quite a few different stories and I've, I've heard them as well um, that Bill Edwards and Tampa were paying the bills for Fort Lauderdale and whether it was, you know, a loan or whether it was a cash payment and the midfield press article talks about trying to buy Fort Lauderdale, which I mean, I don't know if, if Edwards realized that that's not going to happen because of, you know, regulations as part of being sanctioned as a division two league owners aren't supposed to own more than one team. And, that's something U.S. Soccer has really worked hard to get away from after the the Phil Anschutz days and MLS and the traffic sports days and NASL. So, I mean, Edwards was interested in buying Fort Lauderdale, and there's even talk that PC and Diego Restrepo, two players who moved from Fort Lauderdale to uh, Tampa, that that was done as part of a repayment of these loans, and Fort Lauderdale's denying that now, but... I had heard quite a while before those moves were made that Bill Edwards was paying the bills for Fort Lauderdale. And then those moves happen and then you start to wonder and then you start to get into competitive balance and is the competition being sullied because of this. And then you saw in the, the midfield press article, Junior Burgos was actually mentioned as a player that Fort Lauderdale wanted to bring in as part of these deals. And then it didn't happen. And that would have been, good for junior and good for Atlanta United because then he would actually would have had a chance to play. But you know, it's just, it's a mess. Um, kind of where you're looking at right now, you could see the league not have enough teams to compete next year. That's a possibility right now. Yeah. And that, I guess that's like, that's the question is what's next. Cause if you don't have enough teams, I mean, then, then the whole U.S. soccer pyramid discussion, which we were going to get to in a minute, it kind of leads us there, is the whole pyramid gets weird if, you know, the team that is perceived as being the second level, um, if they just, if they don't compete, I mean, it's so weird. Not really. I mean, let's be honest, like, on paper, yeah. That's uh, what I'm, I guess that's what I mean, is like, to me, it just... On paper, on a Wikipedia article, yeah, it's in, it's Division Two. But in reality, y- go look at an FC Cincinnati game. Go look at a Sacramento Republic game. Look at a, you know, St. Louis FC has done a good job. I mean, there's a lot of Louisville City. There's a lot of markets that 
the USL team, which is supposed to be Division Three, has looked to be at a higher level than NASL teams. Well, I mean, I, I think the MLS thing helps out there. Like, okay, let's. It creates um, some problems too. Now, let, let's definitely oh, be clear on that with the 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 New York Red Bulls two drawing two hundred people for games, and you know that's not exactly what you want out of a second division league either. But what would you rather have the the Red Bulls with a reserve team in your league that's stable, or Rio OKC wondering if they're going to have turf to play on a week before the game? I guess my that was gonna be my uh, my question to you is like kind of a what if like let's go to an alternate universe. What if it was NASL who had said, yeah, we'll 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 we'll, we'll be your we'll we'll play we'll play nice with the MLS and instead of you you uh, the USL being there, what if it's NASL who takes that position? Uh in it's the past, hard, it's hard to say. Um, you know, the, and this would have been pre Cosmos, so this would have been like 2011, 2012. NASL when the Silverbacks were there uh, right after Montreal went to MLS. It's, I mean, I wonder if it, I don't think it would have worked the same way because at that point, the NASL didn't have as much traction and, you know, it's good for MLS that it didn't because at that point you also had traffic sports heavily involved in, in ASL and that would have been a huge black eye to MLS with what happened with traffic sports and FIFA and Aaron Davidson and that whole deal. If they had been partners, that would have been a mess. I don't, you know, I know David Downs and I know the league in ASL were considering it. I know it was on the table. I don't know if traffic would have ever actually allowed it to happen because I think, I think traffic always had the idea of let's compete with MLS and it was when the Cosmos came in that that they had the backing to actually say, "Yeah, let's do this." Well, I mean, you know, shooters going to shoot. The I guess if you want to look at it that way, and that that they wanted to compete directly, and it hasn't happened. Um, let me ask you: Do you what do you think is there is the future for the NASL? How's it look? I mean, how how bleak are we talking? Uh, fairly bleak. Um, it's hard to say. I mean, I think when you get out of these next board of governors meetings, we'll have a better sense. You know, you kind of go through the, the list of teams right now. You have the Cosmos, you have Miami who are really on the same page with wanting to spend a lot of money and do things their way. They don't you know really want to be in an MLS situation. I don't think they would want to be in the USL either. So they're definitely going to, you know, go down and push everything they can in to make this work. I think Jacksonville and uh, Jacksonville would definitely go along with them. I think Indy 11 has been another one of those teams that has really bought into the NASL model. Um, I think Indy would make a ton of sense if they jumped because then you have rivalries straight away with Cincinnati and Louisville that I think would, would draw really well and create a lot of interest, but I'm not sure if, if they're thinking that way. So Carolina has a fairly new owner and there's been a lot of speculation that they would consider a jump to USL, but, but nothing definitive there. So they're, they're kind of unknown. Edmonton as their ownership has invested in NASL and they have some of the, I believe it's called class B shares in the league that were initial investments. 
but Edmonton would make the most sense for a Canadian league when and if that happens. Yeah, that's uh, they, a whole other thing that I was going to ask you about. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it would essentially be think of you know, where the USL is, but a Canadian version of that. And Edmonton would be a great fit for that. Uh, there's been some speculation about like Toronto and Montreal and Vancouver's reserve teams going into that instead of USL. I don't know where that goes. Um I don't know how competitive the Canadian league is going to want to be in terms of competing with MLS. Maybe it creates a whole nother spectrum of these things. I don't know, but Edmonton is so isolated from the rest of the NASL that I've never really seen a viable long-term future there. If the league didn't grow dramatically, Puerto Rico is kind of the same way. You know, they're, they're isolated on the other way. At least they're somewhat close to Florida, but not exactly. Um, San Francisco coming in has got to kind of be like, what is going on? What did we sign up for? What did we walk into? Yeah, because it's just chaos. And then you get to, you know, Oklahoma City. Nobody's expecting them back. Fort Lauderdale says they're coming back, but they're also needing a loan and supposedly needing anywhere between $1.5 and $1.75 million to get through the rest of the season, which if that's the case, I'd love to see what their budget's been because – you know, the word on the street was the Silverbacks were funded for two point five million from the the other teams in the league. That would have been about two hundred and fifty thousand a team. Um if Fort Lauderdale at this point in the season is needing one point five or one point seven five, what in the world? Yeah. And you just can't do that, especially the way it's set up right now. Like they can't afford to prop people up if they're having these sorts of issues. Um, I well, that's what that's what Ottawa is saying. That was what the midfield press article really heavily insinuated was that Ottawa's like you know, and Tampa probably as well is like you know we could go to USL and not have to you know pay six figures to prop up other teams and actually be you know have our expenses go down, or we stay here and we're going to get hit with a cash call to prop up some team that's failing. If I'm not mistaken, it was the SI article also said there are at least two or three teams, if not more, that haven't actually put in their money for next year yet that they have to put up ahead of time. Uh, yeah, there's four um, is what was said. And it's it's fairly well understood that Ottawa and Tampa are two of those teams. I'm not sure who the others are. I think in now if we're just kind of playing the fun card games of you know what could happen, I'd be down for like a Canadian league that's on par with the USL kind of league and then – you know, let's have some fun with it. Let's have the USL team. Uh, let's have the best team in the USL play, you know, the champions of Canadian league. Let's have a North American title game. Yeah, you could do something with that. Um, I think you have some people in Canada making a push for the Canadian Premier League to not be like the USL and to, to be, honestly be closer to the NASL and not have reserve teams. No, I'd be fine with that, too. I mean, if if they think the market is there for it, then it's something they can explore. And, you know, there's people smarter than I am that, you know, can look at the ideas there and, you know, decide whether or not they're going to work. So um, we'll keep yeah. an eye on it. And I don't think the market's there yet. I think, maybe you know, not. I think Canada needs to start small and I think they're going to try to go big. And, you know, when you get outside of Toronto, Montreal, Vancouver, who are in MLS and, I think there were a couple people like trying to say like, oh, well, if MLS doesn't give our clubs more respect and they're going to come to the Canadian League. No, they're not. And that's not happening. <laughs> let's just that, stop that right now. <laughs> and um, and, you know, before we get too deep, let's not get ourselves. I mean, and I know they're not the same situation, but the MLS went through growing pains as well. Don't forget. Um, it's not the same thing by any means. 
It's it's not because I think when you have to look at it, and you know, some people have have said I, I agree with any American soccer failure is is bad. You know, none of this is good. No, it's, it's not good for the NASL to have these problems and potentially go away. That it's not good for some of the teams to potentially go away. It's never a good thing. Um, but let's look at the big picture here. The first division MLS is growing from a business perspective. You saw the, the valuations from Forbes, you know, what some people can say is BS, whatever. Look how much see- you're having to pay to get into the league now. Yep. You're seeing that there, are, there's a line of people to pay this money to come into the league. They're, you know, 22,000 season ticket holders in Atlanta before you have marquee players, coach, Jersey, any of that. There's, you know, an average of about 40,000 people going to games in Seattle you have Orlando just sold their season ticket allotment of 18000 for their new stadium. Um, you have D.C. building a new stadium. You have big things happening from a business perspective in MLS. So anybody who says, well, MLS is, is failing from a business perspective is just they're not paying attention. They don't want to. The USL is the same thing. You have you know great business going on in the USL. You have Cincinnati going on. You have Sacramento. You have... You know, you have teams coming in at five million a year and not really, you know, being too worried about that. You have Reno coming in next year. You're going to have more. Um, you could have forty teams in the USL very soon. And you got to be business careful. is good there. Yeah, and business is good. And just it's a reminder with all business, not just sport. Uh, sports a different animal, but growth is a thing you have to be careful with. You don't want to grow too fast. You don't want to stagnate. You kind of have to. You got to play with the accelerator and the brake the right way as you kind of advance and as you grow, uh, whether it's more money, uh, whether you're covering more area, taking different markets. It's a thing you have. It's a thing that, you know, these organizations are careful about. And the the whole the overall structure, the MLS uh, leagues and whatnot, you're just careful about the way you grow. You have to be smart about it. And, uh, you know, there are growing pains sometimes. We'll, we'll see what NASL does. We'll see what MLS does. We'll see what USL does. But um, it just comes down to it for me that, you know, people who are saying like, oh, this is a bad thing for U.S. soccer. And this this shows that the soccer business in the U.S. is a problem. No, it doesn't. When MLS is doing well, USL is doing well. Let's let's go beyond that. NPSL is growing and doing well at a fourth division amateur level. When you have your Chattanoogas and Detroit's and some of these other teams that are doing really well. PDL, same thing. So when you're having that, when you're having NWSL start to solidify on the women's pro side and get past that three-year kind of curse that women's pro soccer has had and move on from there and look to add more teams, when every other level of the American soccer business is growing except for the second division NASL, that's about the decisions the NASL has made. It's not about the soccer business in the country as a whole. It's not about things being broken. And that's one of my big pet peeves with uh, with most of these kind of conversations about sport. And I feel like this is something that people attract, maybe, I guess, if you want to call it that, that people fall into with most sports, is they, they lump things together. Things can be exclusive. You know, just because the NASL is struggling doesn't mean U.S. soccer as a whole is failing. You, the NASL struggling and you know soccer in this country as a whole are not directly tied together. They can be exclusive from each other. 
Because, yeah. like you said, look at USL, USL's growth. Look at Cincinnati. Go look up the articles on what Cincinnati's going on. As you mentioned, uh, um, you know, uh, the NWSL, kind of figuring out the combination that works for them, partnering with the MLS, the MLS growth, uh, you know, whether or not you want to, you want to, like, how seriously you want to take the Forbes article, as you mentioned, and whatnot. Um, and the respect it's getting around the world as well now that it's that it's kind of shifting away from that retirement league reputation. So they're not necessarily you can't tie the NASL directly into U.S. soccer. No, no. I mean, I think when everybody else is doing well, except for one branch, you have to look at what that branch has decided to do from a business perspective and question that. And I think it all goes back to NASL deciding to take an antagonistic tone towards MLS and say, well, we should be first division and all these things that they've said and they haven't been able to follow through on. And it's hurt them in the long run. And I think it's going to ultimately lead to a massive change in the lower divisions in American soccer. And we'll see what, what and if the Federation has to get involved and how they handle it. What I, what I would like to see them, if they do get involved and, and try to solidify this, I hope they, because I mean, right now it looks like USL is going to win this battle or let's say, and it's, they're going to be the survivor in an ASL as a league is going to go away. I hope US soccer does step in to say to USL, these clubs that meet your standards, you need to admit them and not jack up a fee and not try to penalize them because they were in your competitors league, any of that. You want to see these clubs like Indy, like Tampa, Fort Lauderdale, if they can find local ownership that have some name value, Carolina Railhawks that have done some things in their communities and have built soccer in their communities. You want to see them survive. You don't want to see them fade away because of stupid decisions made at the league office. So I hope if anything, the Federation gets involved to protect those markets that need might need that extra help. And, you know, we'll keep an eye on it. The there's, there's going to be more stuff coming out about this. Now that the, now that the articles have been hitting, uh, Fort Lauderdale replied with a tweet tonight. You can check out Fort Lauderdale's Twitter account. Um, and you can kind of judge for yourself, but we're going to see things kind of unfold going forward. Um, Jason, as we kind of move on, uh, this Saturday, for those of you that are not emotionally invested in UGA football, which, this is the Peachtree Post. Most of you are, unless you're watching Georgia Tech tonight, which if you are, turn it off. Um, <laughs> if you're still watching it at this point. Oof. Uh, at, one, I, at one point, I actually tweeted out the Atlanta Braves had uh, as had six runs and Georgia Tech had eight yards. The oh, Atlanta man. Braves had almost outscored Georgia Tech's yard total in the second quarter. Oh, that's harsh. Um, anyway, uh, local stuff. Pack Pace. You've probably seen it on Twitter. You've probably seen it on Facebook. Uh, I don't know that you've seen it sprayed across the city, but God, I wouldn't be shocked if you did. Uh, Academy games are going on, and we've got a home game that's coming up this week with Atlanta United, and Pack Pace is a thing. And that stadium's not too huge, but we'll have a lot of people out there this weekend. Uh, Jason, I think you'll be out there with a couple of writers. Uh, if you would like to come ask your questions in person, that's an option. But, you know, come on out. And, uh, Jason, if you want to give more about this. Yeah, so the U18 and U16 Atlanta United Academies will be making their home debuts this weekend. Uh, 
Both are undefeated. They've played two games so far this year. The way the U.S. Soccer Development Academy works is typically you play two games in a weekend and you play every other weekend. So a couple weeks ago, the teams went up to North Carolina and played a team in the Raleigh area and played a team in Charlotte. Uh, They won both games. I think both the 16s and the 18s won both games. So now you're coming back home for games with the Clearwater Chargers on Saturday and IMG Academy on Sunday. And they, they kind of try to make these work in different markets. So, for example, while Clearwater's playing Atlanta United on Saturday, IMG is playing Concord Fire and then vice versa on Sunday. So you get two games on a trip. Um, you know, it's a big deal. I, I, it's interesting to see Atlanta United turn this into a big deal. Uh, Pace Academy Stadium seats around 2,600. And... I wonder if, if it can be filled for this. Um, you know, you are talking youth soccer. You are talking on a Saturday afternoon in the fall. Like you said, Georgia's playing Ole Miss, same time as the U18 game. Uh, you also have a lot of soccer people with games, with their kids uh, all over the metro area. So I'll be very curious to see what the crowd turnout is. Um, if anybody has already started writing up their think piece about how Atlanta United didn't sell out a high school stadium for their U18 game, so they're going to fail, just stop. Just just throw it away now, please. This <laughs> don't, is Don't press it. Don't go there. This is a U18 game. Um, if there's you know people in the stands cheering them on and the supporters groups have, have grabbed onto this and they're all about making noise for this, that's awesome. And for, you know, these kids who are playing in this, these games, it'll be a chance to, you know, somewhat replicate a professional environment, which is, is awesome for them. So it's a great experience, whether there's 500 people there or 2,500 people there. Uh, what can we expect? Um, who should we expect? Uh, will, uh, will the Golden Messiah be there? I don't think so. Um, Carlton does have to earn some more training hours with the Academy and we've seen him, you know, from time to time training with the, the Atlanta United Academy. Uh, Charleston had posted that he would be at a U 17 national team camp this week. And I haven't seen anything else about it. So I'm not sure exactly what's going on with that, but He's not expected to be here. Uh, there will be some other players to watch. Uh, one is center back Bryce Washington, number 21. Uh, I've heard lots of good things about Bryce. Uh, he has kind of stood out in some of the early games. He has definitely caught, I think, some people's attention. And he wasn't you know, super well-known coming into the academy. Uh, Patrick Oconquo is one who's been part of Georgia United. Uh, he scored the winning goal in the game against Charlotte. Um, Lagos Kunga is another former uh, U.S. Youth International. He also played at the Decatur Family YMCA. Uh, he scored, uh, I think he scored in the first game against Carolina Rapids. Sheik Fofana is a player that he's coming off the bench with the U18s. This is his first year at U18. He played for Georgia United's U16s last year and was one of the top scorers in the country. Uh, he's already gotten on the scoreboard this year so far. Edwin Figueroa is another center back, uh, number five. He came out of an open combine that Atlanta United did with League of Lawrenceville in Gwinnett County 
which was really cool. Uh, Edwin was a player who was not part of any elite level youth club and is now part of Atlanta United's Academy. That's, it says a lot about just what they're trying to do to find talent. And they're not just focusing on the elite youth clubs that we all know. They're really branching out to try to find more than that. And that's, that's a big thing. And I think over time you'll see that spread out beyond even the Metro area. And you'll see more kids from Rome and Dalton and Gainesville start to join into the Academy and, and help it grow. By the way, they're doing, I think it's, I think it's this weekend at Nashville. They're doing a, uh, doing one of the come out and play and show us what you got. Um, I believe that's in October, actually. I think oh, it's yeah, close early October. They just announced it though. Yeah. So, I mean, just the opportunity is there. Uh, and this kind of goes back to, you know, building the foundation. You know, if you bring in Tata, if you bring in, you know, different, uh, and not just him, it could, if they bring in somebody else, I'm not saying he's the only guy who can unlock this sort of thing, but you're bringing in a coach of any kind, really, of building this this connectivity with the community inside the perimeter, outside the perimeter, wherever, if you want to get shady about it, that's fine. You know, whatever, that's not me. Um, but that you're going to get kids interested out in the Rome area, uh, Macon, Augusta, you know, Columbus, and have that reach. And I've, I really like that they're doing this over at Pace. By all accounts, it's a beautiful facility. I haven't seen it, and which is a real shame. And really speaks to my laziness because I live like 10 minutes away from it. Um, That's kind of pathetic. I haven't been there. I used to cover soccer games over that area for the Pace's uh, uh, girls team, but I haven't seen the finished product. But by all accounts and people on Twitter, thank you. I lost track of how many of y'all have said something about it, but about how pretty that facility is. So it seems like it's going to be a great time. You don't even need to really watch the first half of the Georgia game anyway. If anything's going to happen, it's going to be, you know, Ole Miss choking it away in the second half like they're prone to do anyway. So, uh, you know, come on out. Check it out. Uh, see what's going on. Pack pace. And here's your chance. I mean, it sounds cliche to say, but see the future. Come see the future. Yeah, it's it's a big deal. Um, it's, it's an opportunity to see some players that, could very well be part of Atlanta United's roster next year, um, if not next year in the future. And like you were talking about getting getting the youth in, let's say, the Southeast interested in this and getting them connected to this club, the way you do that is to have a manager at the first team level who is not afraid of playing young talent and giving them an opportunity. And... You know, you see what that's done for FC Dallas and you see what Oscar Pereira has accomplished there. And then the flip side is you see a player uh, from DC United's Academy who is a, a number 10, very creative, uh, not the biggest player. He doesn't really fit with how DC plays and super talented, could be a game changer type of player on the field. But they're basically like, well, you're not going to get a spot here, so... You can go. And you hate to see that because part of then it comes up, well, why are you having an academy in the first place if that's what you're doing? And it has to come back to that that cohesion between the first team all the way down to the U-12s. And that's where somebody like a Martino who has had that experience and has a staff who's had that experience from top to bottom will help to bring everything together. And no, the U-12s are not going to play 
like the first team exactly. The U16s and U18s are not going to play with the first team exactly. You know, you have to match teaching the players how to play certain positions and how to develop their personal game with getting results because, you know, while these teams are not just trying to win a trophy, creating that culture of winning is important and learning how to win is very important. So as the kids get older, you'll see that become more of a focus and you just have to have the cohesion. You have to have that 10, 11 year old learning the individual skills that will then allow him to be that right winger or left winger in a four, three, three pressing style. So it has to be cohesive. And that's where having a manager like Martino with that experience that comes in could be a, could have a massive payoff down the line for Atlanta United. And I still stand by the idea that I want more technically sound players. And I think that's, that's a system that can create that because people talk about it all the time. And I know you and I have about, you know, whether or not you lament it, if that's the word you want to use, that you don't have some of these freakish athletes playing soccer and you wonder, Oh, what if Chris Paul played? What if Kobe Bryant played? What if Mike Trout had played? Uh, Adrian Peterson. What if these guys had grown up playing instead? Like they're great athletes, but that's no guarantee they would have had the technical side of the game down. And that's something I really want to see improve at the club level and especially on the national level. Uh, and whether or not the guys are American born, I don't want that to be the reason. Oh, this guy, you know, we we didn't push the technical side because he doesn't, you know, play for the U.S. national team. No, no, I want. Like, if you're going to run the academy like that, run it and teach the technical side because you're it's America and you're going to have a lot of these kids, especially as as we go forward in time. We've talked about this before. There's kind of going, there's this theory that you're going to have this shift athletically away from American football. Uh, and this can be an option going forward for some of these freakish athletes. Uh, and I talked about one last, one of the guys I mentioned last night in the chat, uh, half jokingly was uh, Bjorn Johnson, who's a uh, Norwegian American who's born in North Carolina, plays for hearts right now. He's six foot five and runs like a deer playing a target forward. And if we hadn't gotten Kenwin Jones, I'd have been absolutely down for that. I really wish he'd get capped by the U S national team at some point. Um, but you're always going to have those freakish athletes. I think it'd be great to give them that technical skill to go along with it. You have to see the best of both. And, you know, one thing you said about developing players for the U S national team, this is something that, it it I don't know if it'll come up too much straight away. Actually, it could because when you look at there's two players for Atlanta United's U16 academy team who have been away playing with Jamaica's U17s at the Caribbean Cup. So you're going to start to have some players who are in Atlanta United's youth academy who will choose to play for Jamaica or Mexico or El Salvador or wherever, and that's going to happen, and that's okay. Yeah, um, there was some issue with Andy Nahar coming out of DC United's academy and in DC producing him, and him deciding to play for Honduras as opposed to waiting on his citizenship and paperwork. Um, you know, the academy is to produce players for Atlanta United, exactly. And whether they're you know of you know U.S. national team eligibility or not, that doesn't matter. Most of them will be because Atlanta is in the United States, but not all will be. So that's okay. Um, but then when you get to it, you're going to have some players who are 
technical wizards and you're going to have some players who are freakish athletes and you have to be able to blend both and you have to be able to get the best out of both. I mean, you see a player like, well, I mean, compare Messi and Ronaldo. I mean, Messi is not the greatest athlete in the world, but he's an amazing technical player. When then you look at Cristiano Ronaldo, who is a freak athlete, like Gareth Bale, who is a freak athlete who has technical ability. You, you need to have both. If, if a player is naturally technical, you need to improve their athleticism as best you can. If you have a player who's a great athlete, you need to improve their technical ability. Jordan Morris, I think, is a prime example of this. You know, Morris gets, you know, ripped often for not having a left foot. Okay, yeah, that would be nice if he had a left foot. However, look at what he does when he's on the field. Look at what he creates. Look at how he is developing this one year so far at the MLS level. Look at how he's learning how to do things. It's do you wish he had a left foot? Do you wish somebody had sat him down at 10 years old and just constantly worked on his left foot? Yeah, but you can't go back in time. But it's that also, doesn't mean Jordan Morris can't still be a great player. It's also hilarious that he has literally tried to find every way possible to shoot and score with his right foot that is humanly possible and, and uh, that anatomically possible to do with his right foot. He's done it. And to me, that is it's very funny to watch. Well, Think about this. Think about how Jordan Morris has done those things with his right foot. And think about how Ryan Giggs did those things with his left foot. You know, it's not as much of a big deal because Ryan Giggs was left footed. And, you know, a a one footed lefty is, you know, more valuable than a one footed righty just because a lefty is going to be so different and a handful for defenders just because it's different. Um, For Morris, because he's, he's one footed as a right footed player. Is it, you know, textbook? No, it's not at all. But does it mean that, oh, well, he can't be any good? No, that's nonsense. Jordan Morris can be a very effective player in MLS. He can be a very effective player any other club he goes to, and he can be an effective player for the national team. And, you know, at that academy level, you have to start to take stock of what you have and what you can affect, what you can develop. And can you make that player good enough for the professional level? Because that's the ultimate goal. Won't happen with everybody, but you want every kid who comes to that academy, whether they start at 10 or later, to be good enough to get a pro contract. And if you want to see those guys, you should come pack pace. That's the thesis here. Come pack pace on Saturday. Don't worry about George until the third quarter anyway. And uh, we hope to see you out there. So uh, a number of us will probably be out there. I'm not sure if I will be or not. I don't know Jason will be. So, hey, Jason, will be I, out there? I will be there, and I will not be watching the Georgia game. Um, I'll probably be checking my phone somewhat often. Uh, LSU and, doesn't play till night, so I'm fine. Yeah, see, so you're set. Yeah. And I will, I'm going to stay for the U16s as well. Um, and they play again on Sunday. If you can't make it on Saturday... Uh, they're back at pace on Sunday playing IMG Academy. The U18s play at 10 a.m. And the U16s play at, I think, noon or 12.30, depending on you know how quick they turn around for the next game. So if you can't make it Saturday, you have another opportunity Sunday. There, there's a few more games at pace this fall before the Atlanta United training facility is open in the spring. So go check it out. Go see these guys. One, it's just good to support these kids who are working hard to try to become professionals. And two, it's kind of the first 
it's I mean, it is the first Atlanta United games in Atlanta. So this is pretty cool. Yeah. So uh, be there Saturday. Have fun with it. Um, uh, well, Jason, will there be a piece on Dirty South Soccer kind of helping people uh, out ahead of time? Uh, it's very, very possible that we will have something tomorrow. So you're just going to have to stay tuned. Uh, remember, stay tuned, Dirty South Soccer. There's always Google Alerts. You can do that. Um, anyway, let's move on. And we kind of wrap things up, Jason, as we do every week. Uh, MLS is in the stretch run, and it is, it's a stretch run in the same way that a Brian McCann triple is an exciting two minutes in sports. It takes a while because it's week by week. Uh, playoff stretch run, Jason. It's kind of a who's in, who's out right now. And um, the standings are kind of shaking out. And uh, we're kind of getting to see the lay of the land in terms of who might make the playoffs and who might not. But at the same time, it's getting really tense about who's going to get out of the first round without having to play and who's going to have to put themselves through hell. Yeah, you have some battles on both sides right now. Um, you know, the East, you have a three horse race to win the East and also finish second. And you're going to have one team pushed out into that knockout first round. Uh, right now it's going to be New York city right now. It's New York city. That's going to be fun to see how it shakes out. Then you have the battle on the bottom end of the East where you have Montreal on 38 points in fifth, new England on 36 in sixth, then DC and Orlando on 34 seventh and eighth. And I don't want to call them dead yet. Columbus who has two. Nah, they have two games in hand on new England. Um, and they play New England this week. So Kamara comes home. I, I think they've played like 27 times since that trade. It seems like, but anyway, uh, <laughs> that's completely accurate. Don't look it up. Don't fact check that. It's accurate. Yeah, yeah, 27 games. Like they've they've only played each other since the trade. But Columbus hosts New England. That's the Sunday night FS1 game. If Columbus beats New England. Then they're on 32. New England's still on 36. You have D.C. and Orlando to deal with. But Columbus has a lifeline in that six-point swing game. They have to win Sunday. So that's going to be a fun one to watch because Columbus has a, a draw does no good for them. They have to win. They're going to be going all out for it. And you'll also know what D.C. and Orlando did the night before because they play each other. So, again, you could have a swing where you have a winner and a loser there, and a team's playoff future is gets more precarious at that point. And uh, that, that's, that's, kind of, that's just why it's fun to me is you've got these teams who are directly next to each other playing and duking it out. And I don't know, like a, a DC Orlando situation, depending on how that goes, you know, Columbus could be could be staring up at they they could be staring up at somebody even bigger. I think the best thing for them is a you know DC Orlando draw and Columbus goes out and lays New England against the woodpile. Like eh, that wouldn't be bad for them. Yeah, I mean you look at a draw, if DC and Orlando draw, they're on 35. If Columbus wins, they're on 32. They have a game in hand on DC and Orlando. They have two games in hand on New England. They're not dead yet, but they have to win out. They're at that point now, and they get New England first, so that's that's a good starting point. It's it's the it's the Seattle situation. You don't have a choice anymore. You have yeah. to win out. Yeah, the West is even more tricky when it gets to that because 
you've had Portland go on their usual late season run and they're out of the sixth spot. They're in fifth now. Um, they're actually only three points out of fourth. So this just keeps getting better for the Timbers. <laughs> this is crazy. Um, it's the best part. And then you have the, the other teams in the West. Now it's Sporting Kansas City that's that's kind of on the ropes. And Seattle's five points behind them with two games in hand. Vancouver is six points behind them, but they're on the same number of games. So Vancouver's in a really tough spot. And San Jose is six points behind, but they have two games in hand on Kansas City. And they play each other this week um, in San Jose. So you have San Jose and Columbus, two teams that are way on the outside looking in, but they can still see the door and they're hosting games that are critical at this stage. They have to get wins. If they get wins, then we have a playoff race and things could be interesting. I think if Kansas city wins in San Jose, the Western conference is, is done. There's going to be some battling for spots, but you'll know the six teams. If, if Kansas city beats San Jose, and it, it's it's still kind of tense though, and because and I point to this, Seattle and San Jose both have two games in hand on Kansas City. So even I don't even if they all draw out, I don't think it puts. I don't know that it puts Seattle necessarily out of it completely. If I think if Kansas City wins and Seattle loses this week, oh yeah, then we're done. Yeah, I think it's done. If Kansas City wins. I mean, then you're talking Seattle's looking at being out of it by eight points or being behind Kansas City by eight. And then Portland comes back into play. Portland is in Houston, which Houston's actually been decent here the last few weeks. So maybe something can happen there. But, Barrett. Yeah, I don't know about all that, but let's let's slow that roll a little bit. Buzzkill. Yeah, um, seriously. Um, I don't know. I think... I think the West is just about done with the six teams that get in. In the East, I I still think I still don't believe in New England. I don't exactly believe in DC, Orlando, or Columbus either. So I don't know who's gonna be the, the one who kind of sneaks in. And I feel like that sixth spot in the East is gonna be sneaking in. Yeah, it's gonna be sneaking in and because uh because it is sports and because nothing is fair in sports, watch that six seed end up like, you know, winning their first playoff match. Because if it's Orlando and they get in in the six seed, you don't think Kaka's going to go in there and wreck shop on somebody? I think Orlando is the most dangerous one out of those four. Yeah, uh, I agree New, completely. New England could be. If New England puts together a couple more games here, like like that you've seen recently out of them if Juan Agadello keeps going nuts maybe but Orlando is the one I think with you know they've shown enough to where they're scrappy they score a lot of goals late they also give up a lot of goals late but that's a whole different thing um if you get that game going to Yankee Stadium in the the pinball machine of Yankee Stadium against New York City you never know oh that's an 88th minute penalty to Kaká waiting to happen that's totally going to go over well too with everyone. Oh, Patrick Vieira might not be able to handle that. <laughs> I'm not worried about what Patrick Vieira can or can't handle. I'm just worried about like Kaká in the 88th minute or somebody pinballs a loose ball into the box and Kyle Laren just pokes it home. That's what I could see happening. Um, 
but that's that's the thing um let me ask you this uh quick as we kind of really wind it down um do you think anybody can catch dallas yeah i think la can um i think la definitely can i mean that's la just this is what they do they they just they do this thing late in the season they're they get to play seattle now uh they host seattle on sunday it's on espn at four o'clock they typically break seattle's heart at some point in the season usually they wait till the playoffs they might do it a little early this year dempsey got uh dempsey i'm sorry i don't even know i don't think dempsey's even playing uh no i think there was a slim chance he could be in the roster this week but it's unlikely i don't know if he's been officially ruled out yet well if he doesn't do anything um donovan gonna donovan then i mean if donovan you know scores again which that just blows my mind that landon donovan came back and scored in the second game i mean that's just classic uh dallas dallas kind of has to look at you know managing themselves getting into the playoffs because they're they're looking big picture they want to win mls cup the supporter shield is great but i don't think they're going to sacrifice you know players who need a rest uh managing minutes you know kind of keeping guys sharp i don't think they're going to sacrifice the potential mls cup run over the supporter shield so i think you might see some players get some breaks i think you might see some rotation here in the last month for from oscar Pereja, and i could see them coming back to the pack a little bit i think la could definitely catch them um i'm not so keen on colorado but toronto on the other side could toronto just you know the it's like they'll, they'll have flashes the comeback against the Red Bulls was great. They shouldn't have been in that situation to begin with. And if if Josie Altador can keep doing what he's been doing, Toronto could possibly make a run at Dallas as well. I just really want to see the first treble. That's all I want. And I'm probably not going to get it because, like you said... It's just so hard. I know. And I, I would not... I would not hold it against them in the least if they end up giving up the supporter shield to make a strong run at MLS cup. I wouldn't be mad at them in the least. And it's something that could definitely happen, but um, you know, we'll see uh, with games coming up this weekend. Of course, the two, like you said, the 4 PM LA Seattle game, a game Seattle has to win the Columbus, new England game, a game Columbus has to win. And frankly, new England has to win. I mean, they can, I think new Orleans, new England could slip a little bit. They could slip a game and they'd still be, it'd still have a shot. But you don't want to. No, New England will know where they'll know the result of the DC Orlando game from the night before too. So if say that's a draw, then yeah, New England could maybe be a little more conservative in Columbus and and not risk it as much. But everybody at this point in the season in these spots really needs three points, not draws. So it's going to open up. Um, it's it's a fun time to watch this league. So. If you're new to the league, if you haven't watched a you know, stretch run yet, I, I think I say it almost every week, this is the time to really watch MLS because it's going to pick up. You're going to see some some great drama on Sunday with Seattle desperately needing a win, going to L.A. You're going to see Columbus playing for their season, hosting New England. Uh, it's good stuff, and it's definitely... Yeah, the intensity is there, the excitement is there, and these are the things that, you know, I think most people in Atlanta are looking forward to when it comes to Atlanta United. Absolutely, because Atlanta in the playoffs has never let us down. 
You just had to go there, didn't you? Man, I'm just speaking truths. You had to go Whatever. there. Hey, well, just, just remember Mark Lemke, okay? Can we at least have that? I will never forget Rafael Belliard running into left, left field foul territory for the first out in 95. Um, God bless him. Can we get Francisco Cabrera to an Atlanta United game? Can we get him a jersey, please? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I th- in fact, I think uh, all of Chipper Jones's kids should be the first mascots. Done. All right. Let's call it a night then. Thanks again for joining <laughs> the Peachtree Post. Uh, if you want to find us later on, you can find us on Twitter. Jason Longshore will be found at Longshoe. You can find me, Jarrett Smith, at Jarrett underscore Smith. Be sure to check out Dirty South Soccer. Your home for Atlanta coverage, especially Atlanta United coverage. We'll keep you up to date on hashtag uh, Tata Watch, as well as uh, check out Dirty South Soccer on Twitter, on Instagram. Snapchat is also a thing for all you millennials out there. Uh, We'll catch you next week. Jason, good catching up. And we'll be back next week. Thanks again, everybody. See you all next week.